Hello, and welcome to the sixth episode of Pin Count, the podcast where we go deep into the tech. We're not your normal tech news podcast. We'll dig into the APIs, look at the tech specs, and sweat the details. Half an hour, once a week, we'll try and keep this short. We're not journalists or podcasters, we're developers and computer scientists. I'm Douglas Shearer, and I'm here with my co-host, Ian Wallace. Hello, good evening. Evening. How's the beer? The beer is good. I noticed that the first <laughs> first item when I follow up there was it, it wasn't in fact beer, it was beer. <laughs> yeah, a few people picked up on my strange uh, exclamation <laughs> of beer I think a few episodes back now. Yeah, it's quite popular. The Bath Ale's dark side this evening. A superbly smooth stout from uh, near me down here. I think we need to start another podcast for beer reviews. Okay, so I think we've got like a slightly different episode this week because I think we'll be a bit more news-focused because there's been a lot of news since um, we last talked. Um, mostly sort of pretty tech detail news, but that kind of suits us nicely because we've had the, the Flash Memory Summit was, what, two weeks ago at the time of recording? It was Intel's IDF last week and it's hot chips at the moment. Hot Chips, is that another conference? Yeah, it's like the worst name ever, but um, no, it's really cool. It's where they, um, it's a conference that's more about the details of implementations of uh, chips. Oh, so this is why we're seeing, I mean, it's a topic for later, the AMD Zen details coming yeah, out. Yeah, precisely, we'll talk about that later. There's also like a cheeky die, cheeky die shots of the GP100 and things like that are appearing. Lovely. Okay, so let's start with the Flash Memory Summit. This was two weeks ago, I think. And basically, it's just an opportunity for all the big players in flash storage to get together and show off all their new stuff. Yeah, yeah so I wasn't really paying attention to this. What caught your eye out of all the news from this? So obviously, I mean, the, the big headlines are always going to be things with big capacity or things that are just sort of slightly strange. One of the highlights that... I remember someone had this before, but it's um, it was in this case, it was Samsung and uh, I think they call it Netlist. So Netlist is the other manufacturing partner that Samsung have, and it's basically NAND flash on a DRAM DIMM, with the idea being that you can stick it in a server DRAM slot and get tons and tons and tons of slightly slower, or a lot slower arguably, um, RAM storage. But it is in fact NAND flash on the chips. So what's this for? So it's basically where you need huge capacity, but you don't really need the full speed of DRAM. Okay. So they're aiming at it. Um, in-memory database stuff, that sort of thing. Yeah, in-memory database stuff. Um, and they have their own... I was a bit confused about how this would work, how you'd get your sort of memory hierarchy. You know, Could you have some DRAM and some NAND? It appears you can, but you have to use their own software to manage it. Okay. Um, so it seems like it might be an exceedingly niche thing. It does let you get a lot of RAM... In say a two socket server, they're talking about um, you can configure a terabyte of NAND with thirty two gigs of DRAM. Okay, um, yeah, it's quite a lot. So, I mean, norm- normally you're limited to about well two terabytes of conventional RAM, but that's in a very large server indeed. Yeah, that's where you got four or eight sockets. You're getting that. So, yeah, um, I noticed. It's, it's, um, speaking about the tiered memory architecture, I was reading something earlier today coming out of Hot Chips where the um, there's a good summary article in Antec somewhere we can find a link for the show notes. But the memory manufacturers were holding their talks what is yesterday, and they were kind of a few of them were talking about different tiers of memory. So they're talking about use of the high bandwidth memory, the HBM stuff, 
in both SSDs over NVMe interfaces and as as main memory, so you get this kind of continuum of access times and latencies all the way up from super fast uh, DIMMs hooked up to the CPU, like kind of a smooth continuum through through HBM based memory into HBM based SSDs over NVMe, so much much faster SSDs, and then you know kind of all the way down with the uh, they had spinning hard drives on this chart miles off to the right sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, there's a quite a famous. I'll, I'll see if I can find it. Put it in the show notes, sort of description. If a a CPU cycle is one second, if you mm. scale it up to one second, like an access to a hard drive, like five years or something like that. Yeah. Um, and the jumps between the different um, CPU caches, DRAM, SSDs, and then hard disks are staggeringly big. You, you just don't realize how big they actually are. So I mean, smoothing that out is going to provide a big performance boost for a lot of applications that suffer quite a bit what else has been good then so the next thing that caught my eye was the two announcements from seagate and one was a 10 gigabits per second pcie ssd which is basically just a big enterprise card um i think it was an x4 maybe an x8 slot um just super fast uh, and then they also announced a slower um a 60 terabyte SSD, um, which actually uses a pair in what format? Um, it's a three and a half inch sort of hard disk size format, which is, you know, quite impressive. Sixty terabytes in that, um, and it uses a pair of SAS three point connectors, which are twelve gigabits per second each. Um, so yeah, if you can put, I think twenty four of those in a. Let me get this right in my head: a two U server or maybe a three U server. You got huge um, density of storage obviously these things are quite expensive they're tens of thousands of dollars right um, people aren't you aren't going to be rushing to replace three and a half inch hard drives with them but if you need that capacity and you can put up with the sort of slightly slower interconnects they've got it ready to go and then if, i think the day after this Toshiba one up them and announced a hundred terabyte ssd in the same form factor so i just found some latency numbers it's not the um human scale thing you're talking about but so Half a nanosecond to level one cache reference. Um, level two cache about seven nanoseconds. Main memory hundred nanoseconds. Um, a kilobyte over a gigabit network ten thousand nanoseconds. Four um, K off an SSD one hundred fifty thousand nanoseconds. A megabyte is a million nanoseconds. A disk seek uh, ten milliseconds. So that's ten million nanoseconds um round tripping a packet from uh, this example's california to the netherlands is 150 million nanoseconds so i mean <laughs> pretty crazy um 150 million times slower than hitting the level one cache in your cpu yeah so you want stuff as close as possible yeah i mean the, the, the even just as you're saying those and i'm sort of doing the maths in my head like the, the jumps are quite impressive you know it's a singles orders of magnitude low down but as soon as you get like outside the cpu it's like it's like two three four orders of magnitude for each jump so yeah multiprocessor systems take quite a heavy penalty with lots of extra checking to see which cache stuff's in and that sort of thing yeah it reminds me of a bizarre bug that was to do with register access in the ode physics engine back in the uh, early pentium four days but that's possibly a bit too niche even for this podcast <laughs> 
um, yeah, different behaviour depending on where the data was being loaded from in the registers versus the fetch from the memory into the registers and so on, but uh, lo resulting in a loss of precision in physics calculations. But uh, that's a, a by the by. Was there any? Did you see any more consumer stuff out of Flash Week, or is this all too is it all too far out technology that it's only really hitting data centres and things? Yeah, so it seemed it did seem very enterprise focused. I mean, I guess I guess that's the audience they're expecting system integrators and maybe some people that you know build their own systems and sort of Facebooks of the world to turn up. Um, I don't think they're really that interested in the um, the consumer side of things. There was an announcement from Toshiba that they've um, they've got three D X point memory coming out also three D X point NAND coming out. What is it that Intel call that now? Uh, oh. Optane, Optane, that's the one. Yeah. yeah. So this this so, is faster, faster NAND memory. It's kind of faster than what's currently in PCIe SSDs, but still order yeah. magnitude less than HBM SSDs or RAM. Yeah. So Micron are, are they doing 3DX point as well? I don't know if it's actually licensed from Intel or what the deal is there. The article is in the opening in the moment. Um, but they're calling Quant X. Yeah, whatever. I mean, I guess yeah. the interesting thing here is they're kind of stepping up an order of magnitude in SSD storage in the data center. So consumer kit will not be that far behind. Yeah. So you know your your two terabyte SSD in your laptop could be becoming a reality quicker than you think. Yeah, as long as it's fast yeah. as well. I mean, that's the thing about the data center. Those numbers you gave for you know a, a reading a packet across a ten gigabit per second network. You know, you don't need the super fast SSD a lot of the time. If you've got, if you need a lot of capacity, you can put up with it being slower because your bottleneck's actually somewhere else. In this case, the network. Um, so the fast stuff. It's either for databases or consumer stuff, actually. It drives quite a lot of the sort of faster, non-RAID SSDs. Yeah, so kind of thinking about the consumer stuff, this kind of leads us maybe neatly onto part of our next topic, which is the news out of IDF. So Intel have been announcing more details about their KB Lake, and uh, crucially they've said manufacturers have KB Lake chips in their hand. Intel have shipped them out the fabs. So basically at this point, if Apple doesn't show up with a KB Lake MacBook Pro, in a few weeks then what on earth are they doing some of the i did see at this point i think there may be even just rumors about what parts are out there but they definitely seem to be the lower wattage oh parts yeah they, they confirmed that it's the four to yeah. 15 watt parts yeah so it's we're not getting the 20 and 45 watt parts that go inside the macbook pros so um, they go inside the big macbook pros the parts that they've pushed out the 15 watt parts i'd expect in 13 inch macbook pros Okay. That'll be high clock dual cores. Yep. Um and there's been rumours that they're dropping the the fifteens, the big the big MacBook Pros and potentially just having thirteens with with or without DGPU. So and um the kind of the GPUs in the KB Lake, the Intel were showing off what is on the face of it quite an impressive demo, but maybe not. So they were showing off playing uh, Overwatch on the, the IGP in KB Lake. So that's like a Team Fortress team... Yeah, it's the latest big uh, yeah. first-person shooter. So they didn't say what resolution or graphic settings or whatever, but the fact that you can play a current AAA game at all on the integrated GPU is interesting. Yeah, the integrated GPUs have come on quite a long way. I remember when I got my first Mac... What was it? MacBook, one of the white ones, um, yeah. 2007, I guess it was. Were they um, GMA 950s? That's not even... GMA 950, oh, yeah, I remember. remember. So that's not even integrated into the CPU on those. That's um, a chipset GPU. Just Is awful. it? Okay. So the I, I managed to play Half-Life 2 on that with 2 gigs of RAM in the system, and it was quite low settings and everything, but it got through it. That was quite impressive at the time, but to be able to take a sort of current... Um, 
Yeah, current generation game and actually yeah. playable is quite interesting. A 3D yeah. intensive game as well. Maybe not the sort of highest spec thing ever, but still. Um, also, uh, I didn't understand any of the things, but as we seem to quite like talking about encoding video, uh, they've got some some new levels of the HEVC stuff in KB Lake, which as far as I can tell is basically good for 4K. Yeah, so lots of the things we talked about previously in the E3 1500v5 processors has actually come into the KB Lake consumer chips as well. To the mobile chips as well, specifically the 4 the four watt and the 15 watt parts. Yeah, so just a slimmed down version. You may be able to do one stream of um, 4K H.264. That's super impressive. I mean... Um, for people who stream games or video conferencing if 4K face software yeah you know like all of these things it's going to be great like having hardware support makes such a difference yeah and just following up a bit on displays last time um, it's not out with the realms of possibility that Apple put a 4K screen in the 2017 iPhone so you know 4K FaceTime could be a thing yeah um, oh. I think the most exciting news out of IDF is uh, the most relevant news I can think of to this podcast, which is uh, news about the pin count of a chip. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I know. It's the, So they've announced Xeon Phi's. Actually, some of the socket pictures of the sockets of these leaked at a supercomputing conference last year, but uh, they've finally announced, and we'll put a link in the show notes, the Xeon Phi, what were previously co-processors. They're releasing their X200 series, and they can be their main host processor, so you don't need a co-processor at all. So these Xeon Phi's, are you familiar with them at all? Uh, I've only seen Intel talking about them and sort of placing them or comparing them to GPUs for sort of scientific compute and there's a few supercomputers used them. Yeah, um, so uh, there's an interest. actually there's a recent NVIDIA blog post where they're basically uh, ripping Intel a new one on their um, slightly dodgy comparisons at deep learning benchmarks where they compared yeah. against old versions of NVIDIA stuff. But Yeah, I did see that, yeah, and it looked like in there... Um, Intel were uh, fiddling the numbers a little bit, or at least fiddling what the competition was doing to make themselves look good. Yeah, so the Xeon 5s, it's basically, if you get somewhere between, well, the current ones that they're releasing as uh, chips that can go as a host CPU as well, anywhere between 64 and 72 Atom cores, mash them all onto one chip, and then add 16 gigs of RAM on die, well, stacked on top of it. And then they still have, they have massive memory bandwidth uh, to external memory as well so you basically have a whole ton of ton of cores that aren't tiny wee cores but they're not big cores either um six memory channels so they'll do you know looking at specs now 100 gigs a second to the memory which is pretty fast and but the real exciting news for pin count is the socket these things go into which is an absolute monster it's 3647 pins it is an amazing looking thing in the pictures. It was the first thing I noticed when I scrolled through the articles about the New Zealand Fire was this, that socket. In the first picture, I saw there was no explanation if that was actually the socket for it or how many pins it had. I was just like, that is a big socket with a lot of pins on it. Yeah, it's because, um, well, that's three times the number of pins of a normal desktop CPU, just to give you some point of comparison. And a lot of that will be because it's got six memory channels, and these days the memory controllers are inside the CPU, so... They have that slightly weird memory architecture to give them very high bandwidth. Um, yeah, so the socket, to, to give it its, uh, the name its mother we call it, is uh, SVLCLGA3647. Rolls off the tongue. It's catchy. Yeah. So they're, they're making these new Xeon 5s available as, you said you can be a host processor, so it's literally a thing you drop into what would almost be a motherboard? Yeah, yeah, you drop in a motherboard with a whole ton of DIMM slots and... 
you run your operating system straight on these. There's no coprocessor nonsense. I mean, these things have PCIe lanes. You could have one of these with a pile of GPUs if you fancied something like that. It's do they still do the coprocessor option? Yeah, that's the X100. And okay. They've filed all this stuff into the Arc now, so you can you can go and have a look here. Oh wow, the faster ones that they just announced go up to uh, um, 115 gigabits a second through the memory. So. So while we're on the subject of uh, the Xeon Phi's, I don't know if you saw there was an article by one of the team on the original Xeon Phi project, a guy called Tom Forsyth, and it's entitled Why Did Larabee Fail? And it's basically talking about the origins of the Xeon Phi project, and it was supposed to be like a proper GPU that would compete with the likes of NVIDIA and ATI at the time. Yeah, but they, they yeah. kind of span out a lot of the technology into, that's what the current um, IGP architecture is, is that right? Yeah, that's so. That's basically what it comes down to. Intel management changed the the sort of final specs quite a lot. They built a lot of stuff that eventually just never got used. They canned all the graphics capabilities, and then we ended up with the first one, first round of chips. I think were Knight's Ferry, um, and then Knight's Corner, Knight's Landing, Landing and Corner is the new one, and then Corner then Landing Mill is the new one that they've just announced with them. Absolutely no details at all, other than a graph with no labels on the axes that goes up and to the right into an explosion, saying "Great for deep learning" or something. It's like the worst. Yeah. It's even better than Amazon's charts. I do find the Amazon's charts. Amazon's charts <laughs> I do, I do find the the Xeon Phi marketing thing quite interesting. I wonder if they announce these things so they get interest from people who are say building a supercomputer, and then they get the details because they always seem to announce the the name more than a year or 18 months before the chips actually appear or any details appear. Well, so there's there's some sort of marketing thing going on there. These X200s, I'm looking at it on the arc here, so they've got three, eight chips there, of which two are no, three are listed as launched. Um, yeah, just in that quarter 216, so about now. And then, yeah, some of them are just announced. These chips are going up to uh, 260 watts, by the way, as well, which is pretty high for... Traditional CPU, the high-end Xeons max out about 140. But um, that's more like big GPU uh, power numbers. So is this a good time to talk about big GPUs and PCI slots? Um, yeah, maybe. We can kind of go into this. So like, it's not just Intel. So AMD have been at Hot Chips, um, waving their latest and greatest around. Uh, so it's, it's a bit dubious. So... Um, their their Zen architecture is their newest architecture, and they're kind of like, look, finally we're compatible with Intel. Uh, sorry, not compatible, um, competitive, competitive with Intel. Yeah. And uh, look, we've done a benchmark, and we're two percent faster than Broadwell E. Two uh, percent yeah. faster in one benchmark in Blender with on an engineering sample chip without any other details there's like yeah there were some leaked benchmarks a few weeks ago as well where it was compared to basically a four-year-old intel i5 processor it was like oh it's faster but once we up the clock speed it'll be you know competitive with a current i7 it seems very strange the benchmarks are putting out yeah they're comparing it they compared it against a current top end i7 so it's a probably apples for apples comparison but there's a good uh, analysis of the benchmarks on antec we can link to rather than rehash it here but basically the point they're making is it's a single benchmark on a single application and you have no idea what they've done to the source code because Blender is open source to make it run better because they're not publishing any of it. Um, so who knows? The kind of almost the more interesting thing is the 
people uh, kind of reading the tea leaves on the motherboards, like really poring over the motherboards to see what appears there. Uh, and Antec had an interesting article where they speculate about the capabilities of the AMD chips based on the motherboard. But the more interesting thing was in an article I was reading yesterday on Tom's Hardware, where they kind of put two and two together, uh, reading the proposed specifications for PCI Express 4. And basically it looks like PCI Express 4 is likely to deliver 300 watts or above to the slot directly. Yeah, that's been one of the design goals in the sort of draft versions of the spec for quite a while. I'm, I'm quite impressed it's actually happening, though. I mean, I think the upper limit I saw, or at least it's listed on Wikipedia, is 500 watts. Yeah, so I mean, is... just to compare, PCI Express 3, the current sort of graphics card expansion slot, is 75 watts through the slot. So if you've got a, you know, a modern GPU, it'll be anything from 150 watts up to 300 for very high power stuff. And there you have to use auxiliary connectors from the power supply, extra cables, which interfere with airflow, which makes it harder to swap the, swap the cards in and out, etc, etc, etc. So are we going to see, I mean, you could run 300 watts is enough to run a Titan X Pascal. Oh, easy, easily, with, like a 1080 is a 150 watts or something. So do you think we're going to see more powerful cards that then maybe need connectors again? Um, Maybe. I mean, you look at things like these uh, Xeon Phi chips taking 260 watts. You look at um, NVIDIA with their mezzanine connector on the, the GP100 uh, Pascal-based cards for the DGX1, which they do part, partly for um, faster interconnects between them, but also partly so they can put 300 watts into them. And yeah, AMD have traditionally had very hot, hot GPUs as well. Um, drawing up to, I think they had a 500 watt card at one point. It's totally crazy. So, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It kind of makes sense. It seems a bit of a hack at the moment that nearly anything you allow you to plug into a fast PCIe slot then requires you to fish around and plug a few extra cables in too. Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly almost, it seems to be a norm once you get past the sort of very basic level of GPU, you're plugging stuff into it and all the power supplies have support for it so it's sort of become expected that you'll do that. It might be interesting to see machines and power supplies that move away from that and like you say, you get a neater cabling arrangement inside, you don't have to have the extra cables. It would mean you could put consumer cards inside a server as well because you don't have to worry about the cables hitting the case. Yeah, that's annoying because for for anyone that hasn't uh, pulled apart that sort of hardware basically on a NVIDIA Quadro card the power connector is on the back end of the card so by the back I mean the, the short edge opposite the back of the PC whereas on consumer GeForces and things the connectors are on the top of the card so the side opposite the motherboard so typically in a workstation case or a server case you can't you can't plug the power connectors in on consumer cards it's a bit of a pain um, you're asking what else is at Hot Chips and uh, Microsoft were there um, so there's been teardowns of the HoloLens. I think The Verge had one uh, a few months ago maybe or earlier in the year uh, but they've actually showed up with details of the chip because they they've been banging on about their holographic display processor that they've had in this thing and everyone's like oh yeah it's just some specialised uh, Atom chip and they do indeed have an Atom in there with like a gig of RAM and it's nothing particularly special but they've also got a separate DSP chip which is uh, doing some interesting stuff so it's Dedicated uh, discrete signal processing chip. Is that what it's D? Yeah. Yeah. And um, they're using that to process basically all the sensor input. So they can process all the sensor input in parallel then. 
then feed off the information as processed as possible to the Atom CPUs. They talk about handing just raw pose information off to the atoms or which way it's facing, so that it has to do no crunching of that sort of stuff. It's quite interesting. Yeah, it's quite an interesting chip itself. Um, TSMC are making it for them. It's got 24 DSP cores. Yeah, it's quite quite a thing as well. Um, interesting to see Microsoft making custom hardware for what is quite a niche application. Although it's not really Microsoft. They've obviously contracted the company out to do it that makes these custom DSP chips. But still, it's uh, very application-specific. Yeah, I think it's the only way to do it. If we go back to our discussion about what qualities make for the best VR experience, you've got to you've got to be doing sort of special stuff to to ha- have a good experience without having a huge power envelope. Yeah, it's, it's even worse in AR, I think, because in terms of latency and things like that, if your whole view is lagging slightly, that's less noticeable than if the thing that you think you've pinned to the wall or sat on your desk suddenly moves relative to the real world because you're, you're then trying to render and keep up with the real world, let alone a, a virtual world. Yeah. It was interesting that IDF Intel also announced their sort of HoloLens competitor, I suppose it would be. Um, oh, yeah, I can't remember, the, can't remember the name of it, but the it's real a similar... Stuff. They, they strapped yeah. a real sense on the front of a Vive, right? Pretty much exactly that. And, um, it's just like a, a headset with CPU in it that does some um, augmented reality stuff. It, it looks quite interesting. They're talking about it being more of a platform and they'll let other people make the hardware and... It tends to be the the way with a lot of these Intel things. They're looking they're looking to sell the chips inside rather than the hardware itself. So anything else out of IDF you want to cover up? A few announcements that were sort of similar to a, I suppose like a Raspberry Pi. They were designed to be sort of small development platforms for yeah, all sorts they, of things. They push out tons of these ever since they they bought X scale years ago. They've been kind of pushing out tiny development platforms for low power IoT stuff, but they've never quite quite gone anywhere. Yeah. I find the the IDF keynote every year. I find it very frustrating. There's lots of demos and talk about things that you just know are never going to make it to a real product anytime soon. Um, they're interesting to see that people are thinking about them, but I'm more interested in what's a real product that we can buy next year. So as ever, thanks for listening. Uh, we put the show notes at pinkcountpodcast.com or you know just click around in your podcast player. I'm on Twitter at the underscore accidental. Doug's at Douglas F Shearer. The show is at Pincount Podcast. We like getting feedback. It's great if you give us some questions or any follow-up or if you really want to point out how wrong we are and send us an email linking to some tech documents, then you can get us at wrong on the internet at pincountpodcast.com. I actually said that properly this time. <laughs> so you, you, you pasted a, a ton of uh, computer names in here. For... Yes, so last time when we were talking about the computer museum, there was lots of interesting names of computers, so I think we sort of spent a few minutes and sort of picked out some of our favourite names. Um, what have you got in here? What's your best computer name then? Oh, I'm the best one here. I think I like the Super bro- Super Brain. It just reminds <laughs> me of something out of Fallout, you know. Um, yeah. Or maybe um, Futurama, Super Brain. Yeah. What on earth yeah. is a Super Dome and how does it differ from a Super Brain? <laughs> I thought that was a football competition. American football. You need to be careful. <laughs> yeah, <there>. yeah. <laughs> what on earth is the Superdome? Oh, there's been a Superdome too as well. Uh, the 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 PA Risk processors and then Itanium two. Oh, and HP's nine thousand Superdome. Why is it a Superdome though? This thing's mad. There's also a thing called a Mega Node. That's a pretty yeah. good name. If I was an evil villain. Yeah, it's a type of some uh, supercomputer that takes up four cabinets. It looks like lots of the stuff is missing, though. It has 
250 transputers. I think you talked about transputers yeah, at some we point. Had a, we had like super like small CPUs with lots and lots of parallel interconnection. Trendy these days, but uh, maybe a bit ahead of its time. Yeah. I, can't, I, I always like it's it's not so much the best computer name as the worst computer name, but like uh, you know, like the SNES in the states was called the Super Famicom. So it's just like an awful name. Yeah, that's yeah, not great. Yeah. Famicom. Also, Deep Crack. Uh, what is what is Deep Crack? What is Deep Crack? It's um, oh, it's from a while ago, late nineties, I think. Oh, it's a DES cracker. Okay. Yeah, cool. yeah. It's EFF wanted to prove that DES wasn't secure, so they basically built a lot of ASICs to brute force the hashes. $250,000 just to prove a point. I mean, I suppose it's a good point to make. Um, yeah, it's basically your 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 information is not secure in this cipher. Yeah, and that sounds like it was a fun project. I bet there's a good story behind that. Uh, and then the last one I've got written here is it's part of the Cree SV1 supercomputer. It's got a Giga Ring I.O. channel. That's pretty good. This is not as crazy as names on motherboard uh, features, which we should definitely cover in it as a topic in itself. Yeah, I think we'll have to compile our three favourite examples of motherboard names and motherboard copy. They're I mean, the, abil- the ability to make sound processing chips sound exciting is a speciality of the uh, marketing teams at motherboard manufacturers. 